Welcome to the Tibetan Blog of Living and Dying podcast, celebrating 20 years of the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. In this final part of a three-part teaching on living and dying today, Sogya Rinpoche talks about what it is that happens at the moment of death and offers advice from the wisdom tradition of Tibet about how we can prepare for and meet the moment of death with understanding and confidence. Shall I say a little bit what we do for the moment of death? Shall we do that? Okay. So, I spoke about the reflection of impermanent death, which is really to kind of more help us to look into the deeper understanding of life and death, which leads to meditation to the nature of mind, which brings the, the fearless confidence. What Milarepa spoke about. But now you see, speaking of the moment of death, from the spiritual point of view, the moment of death is considered to be the most important moment of our life. The fundamental message of the Buddhist teaching is that if we are prepared, there's a tremendous hope both in life and death. Teachings reveal to us the possibility of an astounding and finally boundless freedom, which is ours to work for now and in life. For someone who has prepared and practiced, death comes not as a defeat, but as a triumph, the crowning and the most glorious moment of life. Because for the moment of death is of tremendous opportunity. If we understand clearly what is happening, and if we prepared well for it in life, because for the actual moment of death, what is happening is thinking ego mind dies into the essence. In this truth, enlightenment takes place. Now, to say briefly, from a spiritual point of view, you see when you die, you see, just very essentially, not only your body dies, but also your mind dies. That means, your ordinary mind with all these negative emotions. In fact, traditionally said, 81 thoughts and emotions which are related to anger, design, ignorance, which obscure their ultimate nature. Is that clear? That temporarily dies. That's why it is sometimes said that even great practitioners, when they have really practiced all their life have almost come to become enlightened, but then because as long as have, they have this body, it limits it, because this body is part of our past karma. That's why when this body dies, it's the end of a particular karma, and there's an opportunity for new karma. You understand? That's why generally it is said in the Buddhist teachings that, you know, the death is considered very important. In fact, when the great masters pass, that death is sometimes known as parinirvana. In the death of Buddha is the parinirvana, the ultimate liberation. Because at that moment, you see, is the end of that thing and the dawning into the light. Is that clear? Because what is happening is that uh, when you die, uh, you see, not only your body dies, but also mind dies with this negative. And what is revealed, it is what is called the, the clay light, of the fundamental innate mind of clay light, of the true nature. So, 
That's why the near-death research or the experience speak of the meeting of light. They always associate sometimes with God, feeling of this tremendous light. You understand? Now this, everybody experiences because everyone has the same potential of that, what's called enlightenment or have the potential of, of the Buddha nature, have that. However, if in life, if we, for example, through meditation, through practice, if we come to realize the nature of mind, and come to glimpse with it, and the master shows us and we recognize us. Then if we have that recognition, then when actually when death happens, when it happens, we can recognize. It's a bit like if you know you're going to meet somebody at the airport, if you have a good photograph likeness of this person, you're familiar with this one, you know, then when you meet in the airport, you probably recognize it. But if you have no idea, he could walk right by you and even say hello, you will not recognize So that's why, actually interesting, when you do meditation also, when you do really meditation in a deep way, it's actually like dying. In fact, it can have, there's a kind of experience when suddenly there's a tremendous clarity comes in meditation, which is a sign of that aggression has died, anger has died. There's an experience of bliss comes. That the signs of desire has light. There's also an experience of absence of thought, the free of concept. There's a sign of ignorance died. You understand? But however, they are also trapped. If you say, ooh, bliss, ooh, clarity, ooh, absence of, if you grasp one, they're trapped further. But that actually, just as what happens at death, it, in death, it happens in much more in a bigger way. But that in meditation also happens in a subtle way. The anger, desire, and ignorance die, and there reveals a little bit, you see, the clear light, a fundamental innate mind of clear light. It is also happens also when we go to sleep, also we can experience it. But many of us don't recognize it. There's also the, the, the dream of the sleep yoga practice where you begin to come to recognize. Because most important thing is what Buddha said. There's a very famous saying, mind is devoid of mind, the nature of mind is clear light. Mind is devoid of mind, nature of mind is clear light. The nature of mind is clear light. In fact, these three things, the mind is devoid of mind, nature of mind, clear love. In fact, the, the three turning of the wheel of Dharma can be related. The first is related to the mind, is the first turning wheel of the Dharma. Devoid of mind is the second turning wheel of the Dharma. The clear light is the third turning wheel of the Dharma. His own Dalai Lama said that. In fact, the real the ultimate is the nature of mind is clear light. This clear light, which is a true nature, dawns at the moment of death when our ordinary thoughts and emotions, they die momentarily. And if we train in the mind, if we train with meditation, and lived a good life, you know, not drinking champagne and the same, I mean, uh, what I mean by, you know, you know, you know, good, good life, you know what I'm saying? Uh, good life, not harming others, uh, serving benefit. Then you see, there's more chance you recognize, and when, they, when you recognize, it is said, it's like, child running into his mother's lap. Traditionally said that what dawns is called the ground luminosity or the mother luminosity. 
and what you have learned in your life, what your master's shown and your practice called child luminosity or the path luminosity. When the path meets the ground, the goal, the ultimate, or when the child recognizes the mother, then in the recognition, the liberation takes place. That's what I'm saying. Is that clear? But when you, it happens to everybody, but a lot of us, we don't recognize. You don't know what's, what's, what happened to us. And suddenly, we don't recognize. Instead, what happens, then we kind of uh, smuggle in from our all conscious, all ground consciousness, the, all the memories and the karmic seat that they are, then we smuggle across the other shore and become the seat of germinating future buds. Is that clear? So that for the actual moment of death, the thinking ego mind dies into the essence. In this truth, enlightenment takes place. If we familiar ourselves with the true nature of mind through practice while we are still alive, then we become more prepared for when it reveals itself spontaneously at the moment of death. Recognition then follows as naturally as a child running into the mother lab, remaining that state, we are liberated. What the teachings reveals is a wonderful good news. But when the body dies, the ordinary mind with all its delusion die. All the thoughts and emotions related to anger, desire, and ignorance die. What is revealed at the moment of death is the ultimate ground of a being, the Buddha nature, the nature of a mind, sometimes called the ground luminosity or the clay light. For a Christian practitioner, you could almost call this as going back to God, as it is going back to our primordial nature. This essential nature of mind is the background to the whole of life and death, like the sky which folds the whole universe in its embrace. So that the moment of death, there are two things that count, which are whatever you've done in your life and the state of mind we are at the moment of death. Even we have accumulated a lot of harmful actions in our life, if we are able to really make a change of heart at the moment of death, you know, you know, like, for example, making really a confession. I think sometimes in Christianity, making the confession is like a way of making that last change of heart. You understand? If you do that truly, not just as a ceremony, but really truly, and really change of heart at the moment of death can decisively influence our future and transform our karma because the moment of death is an exceptionally powerful moment. You see? A very exceptionally powerful opportunity for purifying karma. Because this means the last thought in motion that we have before we die has an extremely powerful determining effect for the immediate future. This is why the master stressed that the quality, the atmosphere around us when we die is crucial. With our friends and relatives, we should do all we can to inspire positive emotions, sacred feelings like love, compassion, devotion, and all that we can do to help them to let go of grasping, yearning, and attachment. As Yisrael Dalai Lama was saying, that you see when somebody's dying, to really not to disturb their mind, to do something that is really, how do you say, pleasing to them, to bring more peace. You understand? And the most important is through giving love. Through giving love. Through giving love. Through giving love. Real, unconditional love. Love. Giving love. Love is the most important. Giving love. Really, love. In fact, this great master, Padmasambhava, who is the author of like the Tibetan Book of the Dead, 
and many of the teachings in the Pardos, his main advice for the moment of death, he said, now when the Pardo moment dawns upon me, I will abandon, first point is, I will abandon grasping, yearning, and attachment. Second, he said, enter undistracted into the clear awareness of the teaching. And third, he said, and eject my conscience into the unborn rigpa. As I leave this compound body of flesh and mind, I will know to be transitory illusion. Or to put it very simply, that same message, like my master, this great master, German Kenshichidori, he used to say, he always, when people come, the old people, very simple people come, he would always say, he said, at the moment of death, let go of attachment aversion. Let go of all your negative emotions. Keep your heart and mind pure and unite your mind with the wisdom mind of the Buddhas and the rest in the nature mind. Isn't it? You understand? That's really the key. So the first thing is, as Padmasambha advised, when the moment of death dawns upon me, I'll abandon grasping and any attachment, is that first of all, how we can help someone who's dying, as Padmasambhava says, to abandon grasping, yearning, and attachment. How is through emotional care support that you give to a dying person. The presence and love that you give them, which is inspired by your practice, you see, is the loving atmosphere to really create an inspiring and more peaceful atmosphere. You understand? And really to, to be there. The most important is to be there, to be present. You understand? Even in this life also, when somebody's need, to really be there and to listen. Listen to the wishes. To encourage more positive. In fact, don't focus on the failures. But focus more on what they've succeeded, what they feel good about. And encourage those positive emotions. Is that clear? Particularly if, if someone doesn't have a faith. You can encourage the positivists, what they've succeeded, what they've learned. Ask them to give you that life wisdom to you, share, and encourage to keep that wisdom in your mind and let go of all other shit. You understand? But then, of course, if you belong to, if you have any particular faith, you know, I will then, if you have some faith or something, then I give you practice a little bit at the, the second part here. Okay? And so, particularly, as I said here, how do we help it through emotional care support that you give to the dying person, the presence of love that you give them. In fact, the best presence is love. <laughs> you give them, which is inspired by your practice. It's very, actually, very inspiring for practitioners, for people who are Buddhist practitioners, meditation practitioners, spiritual practitioners, it's very good to help dying people. Because sometimes if you're quite, you know, you know, not so good in your meditation or in your practice, you know, you feel a little bit losing heart, if you go and help the dying, you can, it really kind of, how do you say, inspires you. Because if you come to really touch with the nature of mind, stabilized through our spiritual practice, integrated in our lives, then the love that we come to give can only be deeper. You understand? The love becomes deeper. Because it comes from where? From a deeper source. From our innermost being. From the heart of enlightened nature. 
It has a special power to free us or the dying person. This kind of love, beyond all attachment, is like the divine love. It is the love of the Buddhas, the love of Christ, love of God. In that state, without contriving or even without thinking, we can feel the presence of Buddha or Christ effortlessly. It is as if we become the ambassador. Their representative are loved back by their love and infused with their blessing and compassion. Love that springs truly from the nature of mind, from such practice, from nature of mind, from meditation, is so blessed that it has power to dispel the fear of the unknown. For the dying people, you see, fear of the unknown and will give refuge from anxiety and to grant them serenity and peace and bring inspiration in death and beyond. So that's it. Got it? That's the first line. That is how we can help the dying person to abandon grasping and attachment. And then the second line that Padmasambhava said is enter undistracted into the clear awareness of the teaching. If you are an accomplished practitioner, this is where you rest in the nature of mind. As we saw earlier that the culmination of meditation training is to arrive at the central nature of mind and to be able to rest in the nature state of clear light. As it was said earlier, when the body dies, the ordinary mind and all its delusions die. All the thoughts, emotions related to anger, desire, ignorance die, and the nature of mind, the clear light, is revealed. Now you let go of all attachment aversion and remain in meditation in the clear awareness of the teaching which your masters introduced to you and which you recognize and integrate through practice. At the moment of death, you can enter, if you, you see, sometimes really to a practitioner, really a practitioner, even to a great master, sometimes you whisper to them, you know, now you see the clear light is dawning upon you, rest in that, you remind them. You know, just slowly remind them. That to a great practitioner. But then I tell you a little story. I had this great aunt, great aunt. She practiced all her life, you know, really, almost day and night. Sometimes she doesn't even go to sleep properly. And she also, she's kind of quite a passive person. Her sister is more active. But she died also very quietly and peacefully. So one day in the morning when the signs were shown that her vital signs were weakening, the moment for death was coming. So we sent out a car to fetch this very great master who was living nearby called Dutra Chirampache to come and uh, conduct the last, you know, like the Hadouk, not the ceremonies, what is called the Poa, the transference of the consciousness to guide it. So in our family, we have an old man who was like my father, my second father, who brought me up from young. An incredible man, man of pure gold, really such a good person. Like when you go in India, you know, markets and bazaars, you know, the, you know everybody when they see Apet Doji, they will all respect him. You know, he, he doesn't cheat anybody by a penny, but he doesn't let anybody cheat him by a penny either. Yeah, he's that kind of person. So it was around nine o'clock and he came into, uh, this nun's name is Anirilu. Uh, came to there, and you know, he has a way of speaking quite loudly. He said, Anirilu, because Anirilu was little, almost like in a kind of, she was different between consciousness and unconsciousness. And he came and said, Anirilu, he shouted. So Anirilu opened her eyes. And he has a wonderful smile, this Ape Doji, this old man. 
has a wonderful smile. He smiled and beamed and said, my dear girl, this is the moment. <laughs> You've been so lucky that you have met so many great masters, but not only that, you receive teaching from them. Not only that, you practice for all your life. Now, whatever the most important teaching they've given you for the moment of death, don't forget that now. I'm going shopping now. <laughs> Probably I won't see you again, so goodbye. So the most important thing is, you see, at the moment of death, the teaching has to be really, like a, when you send a telegram, it has to be really essential, isn't it? Like that, no? I mean, this is email, you can be more elaborate. <laughs> it has to be telegraphic form. It, it has to be almost, when you send to a message, messenger who doesn't really carry the message very well. You know the a Chinese whisper? When you sit people around, when you said something, it comes come back. So you have to make sure when you send a message, it has to be very, very pity, short, so that there's no confusion. So therefore, what is important at the moment of death, that instruction has to be extremely clear, or rather put it this way, whatever teaching that you have received from your masters. You see, sometimes great masters, I remember one who at the moment of death, he just simply opened from his text one page of line of teaching of his master, and he asked his main disciple, read to that, and then he just sat there and died. Actually, I mentioned that in the Book of Living Died, in chapter 16, I mentioned that. Now you let go of attachment aversion and remain in meditation, the clear awareness of the teaching, which your master introduced you, which you recognize and you get through practice. At the moment of death, then you can enter the clear light of nature mind and the liberation is short. In fact, many great Buddhist practitioners, they never show off, they never even reveal their any, how do you say? They never reveal anything. But only time is at the moment of death. Then they show off a little bit. They go into rainbow body. Anyway, so just to make it more short now, that the main thing is for if you do not have this, then at least keep your heart mind pure. Keep your heart mind pure. If you're not fully realized in the ultimate nature of mind, then you simply remember the most important point of the teaching, go over the teaching again and again, gather the essence through the practice, let it become the very heart and the core of your body, of your understanding, so that it becomes the clear awareness of the teaching, so that when you die, you can die with awareness in your heart. This is what really, remember when you talk about conscious dying, conscious dying means not just being conscious. <laughs> Conscious means be, that have that awareness. You understand? That awareness. Otherwise, keep your heart and mind pure. Finally, it is said, as it eject my conscience into the space of unborn mind, which is what in the Tibetan teachings called poa, which is the transference conscience at the moment of death. There's a whole practice of yoga teaching in that, which I cannot talk about now because that requires, but a very simple, essential one, which is this, which is something you can do in life and in death. And this is a practice of healing as well as a practice of moment of death, which is, you see, you invoke in the sky before you the embodiment of truth, whatever that is for you. 
if you particularly, if you relate to a particular, if there is a, like an embodiment, this is like something that for you embodies the truth, like Christ or Virgin Mary, or for Buddhist practitioners, Buddha, particularly Buddha Amitabha, or Avalokiteshvara, Buddha of Compassion, or Guru Padmasambhava, whatever that is for you, you invoke that. But if you don't have any figure like you just simply consider, particularly if you have no idea what to believe, what to call, you call everybody. Yeah, or you say, you say, I don't know what it is, who's right, but whoever it is, God, Christ, Buddha, whoever it is, I need help. <laughs> SOS, please come. You understand? Really, you just, you just invoke them. They all come laughing. Because actually, you see, it's really, as Buddha himself, whoever thinks of me, I'm in front of them. Buddhas are just, just a thought away, just an invocation away. As Christ said, knock and the door shall be opened to you. Ask and you shall see. You understand? In the Sermon Mount. It's just asking. It's the prayer, the invocation, to invoke the embodiment of truth. If you do not have any particular figure or being, you can just consider the embodiment of the truth, of that saint, whoever, or just simply, you see, you don't even just visualize or think of any particular, just invoke the all the, how do you say, enlightened beings to come and help you at the moment of death or help somebody who's dying. And then what you say is that please come and help, particularly in the case of somebody dying, to really help to purify their negative emotions, the destructive emotions, and the negative karma, which are what is going to get into trouble. So ask them to please purify the negative karma, negative emotions. That's it. And to pray very strongly with really, with, very, very, with a great fervor, you pray. And as you invoke them, then you see through the sincere prayer, you can consider that Buddha or Christ is moved, and then he, from his heart, tremendous rays of love, compassion, wisdom, strength comes, and as it touches you or the dying person, slowly purifies of all ignorance, negative emotion, destructive. You understand? Then, as my master, Dingba Kenshinbach, used to say, he used to say that when you do this practice at the end, particularly when you do it for someone who's died already, when you do that, you can consider afterwards when the light from the Buddha comes and purifies them, very important things, consider that their body dissolves into light. He said that has a significance. Because since this body represents all our past karma, so to consider your body dissolving to light has the auspicious, create the auspicious condition for purifying your karma of this life. You understand? Negative karma. Good karmas will still be there. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and then you see the dissolve, you see that through the power of the, you see, compassion, wisdom, and the strength of the Buddhas, you see, all the negative and destructive emotions are Purified. Then sometimes you should think of not only the dying person, this person, you can think of the whole world. You can just shine this light to the, all the world and just invoke Buddha's really ask to remove this fear and the despair to pray very much. And people are dying in the, for example, in the floods, and people dying in the plane accident or something. Always think of the people and do this practice for them. 
You see, again and again. Now, if somebody's dying who is in the hospital, who's close to you, do this practice each time you go and visit. And then soon after you hear that someone has died, particularly at the moment of death, if you do this practice very strongly again and again, it's very powerful. Then even after they've died, you should do them again and again. Whenever you think of them, you can do that again and again for years on. I remember my master Dujumam used to say, even that person has become a Buddha, still you can practice for them. Why? Because he or she does not need practice, but he or she will need your help in helping others. So when you start practicing with them, like for even someone who's become enlightened by your practice, it will help them in their work for helping others also. Is that clear? So that's the essence. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast of the Tibetan blog of Living and Dying. For more teachings, articles, and discussions about the Tibetan book of Living and Dying, visit the Tibetan blog of Living and Dying at www.living-and-dying.org.